Welcome to Season 3 of To Be Continued, Troubling the Archive. In today's episode, Finn Sun, Pri Rihal, and Namitha Ratnapile and I are going to talk about the importance of stories. We're going to think about the experiences of being and exploring and how art makes it possible for us to talk about the stories we've inherited, the stories we've chosen to keep, the stories we've chosen to reject, and the stories we've chosen to rework. Each of our own creative practices are informed by our desire to build relationships, to build communities with each other and for each other. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of To Be Continued, Troubling the Archive. My name is Anna Shahak, preferred pronouns she and they, and I'm joining you in from Ganyagahaga territory. Um, we've got with us today, as per usual, my dear friend and technical genius, Finn Sun. Um, we've got Pre joining us, and today's theme, we're going to talk about stories. We're going to talk about, you know, how do we come to be the people that we are? What histories do we carry with us? What histories do we sh- have we shed or, um, you know, are, are questioning, really thinking about the experiences of being and becoming, exploring and thinking about connections and networking and relational building. Um, just a general sense of processes that make up each of our own creative practices. I'm going to turn the wheel over to Finn, and we're going to get rolling from there. Thanks, Anna. My name is Finn, and I am an artist who is interested in exploring relationships. So I am really interested in how relations of sharing um, and accessing and understanding work. So I like to use art and my observations of the world around me as guiding tools. And yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation today because I am always really interested in hearing stories and sharing stories and hearing about processes that that talk about the building aspects of becoming or of being, existing, um, and of creating. Um, What is interesting, I think, about this conversation is that we all kind of know bits of each other um, in distant, distant forms, I would say, and like through connections like work or social media or art and... um, We've never been all together in conversation as a group. And so I think it's kind of an interesting way of, of coming together and sharing this space to to talk about reflection and process. Yeah, so I'm interested in reflecting with you all and having the space to loosely talk about our perspectives and our unique experiences of doing, of becoming, and of being creative and staying active in the various works we do. Pri, do you want to go first? Yeah, for sure. I just want to say that, Finn, I appreciate your pacing so much. Like, I feel like just in the way that you talk about your arts practice is just, there's something very soothing about it. Like, there's something very grounding and slow in a way that feels very like intimate and like you really care about it you know and that's not to say that like people who talk fast don't care because I talk 
very fast. Um, I think sometimes, ironically, inaccessibly fast. Um, and that doesn't mean I care less. But there's something about the way that you you just kind of like say things that's just very, yeah, just very soothing. And it, I feel like that's what I really needed. I had like a weird, a weird morning of just like back to back Zooms. And so, yeah, there was something just I'm very grateful for for that. My name is Pri. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm an interdisciplinary artist. I'm based in Treaty 13, Toronto, and I'm a settler. My parents are originally from Punjab, um, which is a northern state in what's known as India, but I, I don't um, identify as Indian or call myself Indian, and that's a very political and personal choice. I feel like... Um, I feel like sometimes my work is really about storytelling and then other times I really just want to do do a thing or make a thing, you know? I feel like sometimes for me, when I'm when I'm trying different mediums, I actually just want to try the thing and it, and, and it really doesn't go much deeper than that. I think the way that my, my brain works is just, um, I just kind of like ride the dopamine when it's when it's there and then I like go find the hit elsewhere. You know, it's like, so it might be like ceramics for three months and then nothing for six months and then like a year of textile art, if that if that kind of gives you an idea. Um, I try to archive everything I do because I do so many different things on Instagram. So if you want to see a visual diary of all of my fixations, you can find all of that on Instagram. I feel at odds between like being a content creator and being an artist because I've kind of fallen into this habit of sharing everything that I create in such a visual way. And I actually really enjoy documenting it. It's more that, you know, it's more when I get into my head where it's like, if I share this, it's actually not going to get any likes. So then maybe I should make something else that will get more likes. And then that I think also plays into my background as being an artist that vends at zine fairs and markets where it's like, I, I stopped writing personal zines because I would just have white women come up to my table and like put things down or, you know, like have this look of just like disapproval. And I got so tired of people just like picking up my personal histories and like picking up my personal narratives and and just kind of deciding that it wasn't worth five dollars, you know. Um, and I think that's also why there's a bit of like I feel like a little bit of a barrier between me and the art that I make now and, and just wanting to like explore and experiment as opposed to telling telling those stories. But yeah, um, I can maybe pass it over. So my name's Anna Shahak, um, and I am Bengali and Persian. Um, my family, like I actually came to Canada as a political refugee when I was quite young. Um, for me, my art practices, and it's funny, Vin and I were talking about this at the beginning when we hadn't hit record, but we were both talking about like the title of artist and what does it mean? You know, uh, I frequently, not only does my imposter syndrome like perk up so strongly, um, I've, you know, my entry point into a creative practice has been quite unconventional. Um, and I think of it as like my mom frequently says like, you know, when a blessing presents itself in front of you, you say yes to it. And everything else sort of falls in alignment with it. And so my, uh, while, you know, eight-year-old me wanted to be a curator, I didn't really know what life would happen along the way that would take me away from it. And then somewhere along the way, it came back into my life. And so 
I have a curatorial practice. I have been very fortunate to work with really rad artists, activists, and community organizers through this podcast series. Um, I'm dabbling in a little bit of uh, of filmmaking right now. By dabble, I mean I really want to try it. We'll see how it goes. Because again, unconventional, untrained, uh, looking to everyone around me to to like steer me in the right direction. Um, and I play a lot on like being able to use the visual to tell stories. So part and parcel of that, um, Priya, as you're talking about, you know, Instagram is where you do your archiving business. For me, Insta storying is where I like tend to my creative. Uh, energy at the everyday level. So it's become a really huge entry point into how, you know, um, while I do the pragmatic bits and pieces of life, I get to be really creative and out there and also just very much in the mundane, like celebrating the mundane is what I love. Um, And archiving, I mean, I don't even know where to pull the thread on that one. I'm doing my PhD right now. And it's really thinking about how, you know, Indigenous, Black and POC folks, use art to archive, uh, archive as practice, really. Um, So all of this sort of intersects and overlaps in my creative practice. So I never really know how to be like, I'm an artist. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if I have, if I can wear the the ID card for that one. But, you know, I'm slowly trying to make my journey into owning that a bit more, honestly, uh, while feeling very nervous because I'm waiting for like, I'm not sure the art police to come and revoke my artist status. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that's me in a nutshell yeah I really relate to that I was like thinking of how to how to introduce myself and you know I I often introduce myself as um a poet a workshop facilitator a community organizer but I think especially um when art is not my my main practice or you know my academic background or my um, prominent professional background, I have a lot of imposter syndrome or guilt or shame for taking on those labels um, because I often feel like I'm not as committed as other artists into that practice, which I mean, like, I think comes from a number of, of different reasons. I think that, you know, there is a lot of generational, like, um, child of immigrants, mindset of you know art should be you know kind of on the back burner something more pragmatic should be at the forefront um so my academic background um was never really art related I mean it it is something I'm incredibly passionate about a lot of my um academic background is in like sociology it's in studies about like race and ethnicity and power and privilege and, and these things that do show up in my art um but yeah, I, I do call myself a poet. It is something that, you know, I'm so grateful as a part of my life is something I'm able to, you know, now make money off of now be able to, you know, say is is part of my income. Um, but yeah, I, I am a poet, a workshop facilitator, community organizer. Um, yeah, but always still learning and still navigating. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing, right? I feel like it's almost like the entry point conversation of like queerness, uh, which again, brown in diaspora and queerness, like there's a bit of like a uh, there's just a lot of things bouncing against each other, and especially when like the what's it called the 
dominant sort of ways of understanding our ourselves. It's like your community comes first or the language comes first. And I didn't grow up in community. Like much of the reflections in North America for me were very white. And in fact, for the longest time, I couldn't see my brownness and I was working really hard to hide it because I wanted so desperately to fit in. So there was like even the the path and journey to language and to thinking about the histories that I've inherited that like I was disconnected even while in South Asia because I went to an English school. Like I'm a generation of two partitions and, you know, families who work for the British Tobacco Company. There was a lot of like rah-rah, you know, Anglo history and I knew nothing else. And so even in 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 like the quote unquote homeland, there was a disconnect, you know? And again, it brings up this conversation of like inside who you want to claim and how you want to be claimed and then the outside world in so many different ways that make it feel so impossible to exist the way we are. I think it's really interesting that you talk about like, I don't know how you worded it, but like learning that you're brown. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely did not realize I was brown until much later in life. Like I was, um, I was born and raised in Jojage in Montreal, and what's known as Montreal. And I went to school with like all, like, like all, all white and or, um, and Palestinian and, and, and just like, like white Jewish kids as well. And I just remember. I remember being like really frustrated and just like angry a lot. And a lot of that came from like a number of different places, but definitely like I was upset that I didn't look the same as everyone else, but I don't think I realized that it was because of my skin color. Like, I think I was more mad that like my mom didn't let me cut my hair, you know, I think I was, and I was mad that like I had to wear pants when like the other girls got to wear like pleated skirts. And I was like, my mom doesn't let me wear pleated skirts. I wish I could wear pants and now here I am like like very butch and it's it's just kind of funny but yeah and then I think I think there was this this period when I was like eight or nine years old when I was watching like my 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 parents always watched Bollywood movies and I think I remember looking in the mirror and realizing that like Oh, like I'm not ugly. I'm actually really pretty in the Godel kind of way, not in the like Britney Spears kind of way. And the white kids at school don't know that. And that's okay. Like I can actually just be like pretty at home and in my room. And like it's okay that they don't know that, you know? And like as a kid, like really coming to terms of like, you know, you don't know what Eurocentric standards mean and what the like you obviously know the impact of it but you like we didn't have the language then you know and we didn't have instagram and we didn't have tumblr or actually maybe y'all did i didn't <laughs> and um yeah and then you know fast forward like i'm in my late teens early 20s and then like i remember seeing that quote that was like you know I think it was like walk into a room like with the confidence and audacity of like a six foot tall white man. 
And I know that that was a joke. Like, I know it was a joke and I know it was a meme, but like, I'm so autistic that I was like, I'm actually going to take this on. Like, I'm actually like, this is how I'm going to navigate the world. And that's definitely gotten me into some trouble for sure. Like, I can be very abrasive sometimes. Um, and that's definitely like its own thing that I'm working on with my therapist, I promise. But like really being like, I'm white. No, actually, I'm brown. Oh, actually, I'm brown, but I need to pretend like I'm white. Okay, no, but we actually hate white people. So like, just like that constant negotiation of like, like what, like, like what we are, how we're being perceived. And, you know, like, my Instagram name is Sticky Mangoes. I'm not trying to go down like the diaspora path of like, there's mango juice in my veins and I'm too brown for this and not queer enough for that. But like, it is real, you know, like, like, there is something very, very warm and cozy about just sitting with even like one or two other people that are also just like, you know, come from blended families and complicated histories and understand what you know causing mutual harm does to a family and like really understand that that like like how difficult it is to maintain relationships and that look like you and you all have one you all have a stick and poke like there's just there's something about that like very right tag brown queer kinship that's just like really nice um and is really difficult to come across so it's like it's very cute that that we're having this conversation together today i'm like really excited about it i mean i love a good mango so i'm not gonna throwing mangoes away anytime soon i could like bathe in mango juice all the time that'd be fantastic Yes, the connections that we're bringing up, like seeing ourselves in our spaces and like having that representation and also support available in our spaces so that we can grow and and reflect on our engagements as artists, as people is so important. And it's not, I feel like it's not like often talked about. And so I'm reminded of like first meeting Pre, for example, um, we were both like working towards this project. I remember it was a time when I, I turned to this like urge to find people that I might be able to relate to or other queer and trans people. And so this project, also where I got into storytelling and podcasting and spending time with developing and sharing stories. I feel like when I think about this time and some of the conversations that, that were happening it reminds me a lot about um, like the just the feeling of discomfort and not knowing how to engage with a new community that I feel like I should be able to connect to, but there's like a lot of little pieces that that obviously made it challenging. And so, being able to reflect on that discomfort of like being involved in this type of work and process, it reminds me of why I think it's so important to like just take your time processing your 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 choices and your the spaces that you're in. 
does anyone want to share about some of those like connecting stories of like how you have crossed paths with each other and why you felt comfortable or compelled to join the conversation today? I almost want to turn the mic back to you, Finn, and then be like, tell me about the origin stories that you have in mind of each of us. I feel like with all of you, it's been like this experience of almost like not not intentionally knowing or trying, but finding like mutual relationships or mutual people that, that would bring us in the same space. It was just a really like hard time, I feel like reflecting on why things didn't quite feel right in the spaces that I was in or like doing the things I was doing and addressing like the disconnection that I had. I I almost feel like it was a time where my own creative like energy and motivation was out. Like it, I could not create, I could not share anymore because of my experiences creating and sharing in spaces that it didn't feel like things were, things were doing anything for myself or others. And, um, like, I remember once Priya and I were talking about, like, internalization and things that we have maybe grown up learning and how we process that, that unlearning step afterwards. And they'd mentioned something like, you cannot heal in the places that make you sick. And so this is something that, like, I have always remembered and, and honestly, like, carry with me almost every day. And I feel like just thinking about that kind of like that that moment, that possibility and how it's so special is like why I'm I'm attempting to kind of create this episode today and structure this this place for conversation. Yeah, you know, like I've crossed paths with Pre again through things like like other work projects. Like Namitha is also someone who I feel like through mutual friends we we just knew each other, but we didn't know each other until those cross paths were there. And so like, I just, um, yeah, I really appreciate having this, this, this opportunity to come together and, and really like talk about meeting. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm just rambling, but feeling connected is a, it's like a big and vague idea that's hard to explain. But when connection is felt or it's seen or understood, in relation to people, it's always so special. And so I just try to cherish the reflections and the relationships. Yeah, I feel so lucky to be here with all of you. And, you know, like, I feel like with all of you, I found such fun times and also growth. And so that's kind of like my my thoughts on, on some of your origin points. I mean, Finn, you were my... Um... You were my very sort of, you were part of a really big memory for me. It was the first time being involved in a curatorial capacity. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this a lot. Um, it's how um, it's how Kara and I met. It's how you and I met. And it was through the Transgenre Project. Um, and up until that moment, I hadn't been in a space where um, I could actively or openly talk about uh, the different ways I function in the world that I, I, it's like, what's it called? My method to my madness. I never really talked openly about fibromyalgia. And so for me, like our origin story of that moment of like being in these sort of um, 
I think we did like silk screening workshops, the actual installation um, at All Saints venue spot, like all of it were such important and growing moments for me because it let me feel normal for a change, like where everyone were openly talking about what they could bring to the table, what their capacities and limits were. And I found it mind blowing. I found it like, oh, wow, like I don't have to hide. I don't have to, you know, mask where I'm at and be like, actually, I'm my body is not in a good space today. I'm here, but I might not be able to to lift the thing or participate in conversation as actively because I'm battling things on the inside, you know? Um, so I think there's just, I, I appreciate and, and really love what this conversation space allows us and affords us is to be able to be vulnerable without thinking about like, um, about an, a specific audience, you know? Like I feel like we, um, in each of our practices, I, I'm a I'm a media person, so like I'm always like, who's the audience? And you know, pre as you're talking about like zines and someone coming and taking your most vulnerable of stories, and and resisting it at times too, and not even thinking about like the labor and the emotional effort that goes into producing something that's so intimate and vulnerable, and yet it becomes like this product to consume, which then informs how you continue your arts practice. And I think in in so many sort of big moments that from the outside to someone might not come off as a big moment, but in fact, it's huge. It's fundamentally reshaping yourself um, is the question of, you know, who is it that we do the thing that we're doing, you know, and how, how much of it is, is, an, is it a way for us to express ourselves because art makes it possible. Like very, like every iteration of art makes it possible for us to negotiate into and burrow away into the most intimate of ourselves and sometimes in telling these really deeply sacred truths that we experience you find that others feel something alongside with you like there's a witnessing that happens there's a companionship that happens there's a there's a learning that happens on both sides of the equation and i think like all of the ways that community comes into that conversation like the big idea this metaphorical community but also the literally like the small pockets of community um that are made possible so in all of these sort of like tangible and intangible ways i love how the strings are connected the threads make us connected with the i guess like with the possibility for imagining more for the future right like my present already feels nice and lush and overflowing, but it makes me, it it makes me think of joy and hope for the future, uh, in a way that I couldn't have fathomed for teen me or me in my twenties to have thought possible. You know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's interesting thinking about community, especially in terms of um, finding a place for ourselves and like all of ourselves to be you know witnessed as one and I think a lot about how even earlier in this conversation talking about you know those moments we became aware of certain parts of our identity and like what that looks like when it's you know almost like prematurely brought out by like external factors like I was very aware of my brownness from like the first grade and I remember and like 
I had like created and internalized these truths or supposed truths about myself based on how I felt like people were treating me. Like I, this is like, I don't know, an anecdotal thing that I think I come back to a lot was that my best friend when I was a kid was white and, you know, people in my class had crushes on her. And I came to the conclusion through like no real indication like verbal indication from anyone that people had a crush on her because she was white and that was the reason that people didn't like me and this was a truth that like wasn't and I say truth obviously like you know generally like this is obviously not an objective truth but it was a truth that I came to terms with um in a way that felt really fragmented like I think throughout my life I've noticed this pattern of learning and unlearning and like reconstructing notions of parts of my identity in like a very um one by one like step by step kind of way like I think that you know I unpacked and unlearned a lot about my racialized identity and then I unpacked and learned a lot about like my identity as a woman and then about like my identity as a queer person and like I think that it it's so interesting to think about community as like a space where again like all of these parts of you are are accepted as one and i i think a lot about that in terms of the ways in which i find community and and how finding community at different points in my life where i've been you know unpacking those different parts of my identity like follow a certain pattern um and obviously i'm grateful for for all the different ways i've been able to find um you know, those spaces of, of acceptance and, and being embraced for who I am. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's so interesting to think about, yeah, how that shapes our perceptions of self and what it means to to find those places and those people who, you know, both embrace who you are, but also teach you so much more about yourself and, and push you to those um almost like next levels of ourselves and and how we can um I don't know be more authentic to ourselves embrace ourselves more deeply yeah I don't know I'm just it's just like really interesting to reflect on yeah yeah I want to go back to a few things um Finn you were mentioning one of the things that you remember from a conversation that we had and so I have been I'd been seeing this um trans mask indigenous therapist for the last I want to say maybe like almost two years and it felt like we had like outgrown the the therapist client relationship we had cut like real like I realized that I actually do want and need to do more trauma work like I thought that I was beyond that. I thought that I was in the, like, you know, being a better person state of situation, like, or just, like, self-improvement things. But then I realized, like, no, I actually do still have things coming up that I thought were, like, very much resolved or, you know, alleviated. And so they were like, oh, like, I don't specialize in trauma things. And I was like, okay, like, I'll go find another therapist. So I, I had my first session this morning with a new therapist and um and like one of the things I was I was bringing up to her as well was like that exact thing of like you just can't you can't get better 
in the same places that made you sick and it's like yeah i think it's i think especially for like brown and black kids like when there's like certain kinds of environments that we're we're used to and and we're raised and nurtured within it's like I, I it's really complicated it's it's not like white kids where you can just leave or you can just come out or you can just like bring your partner home or like whatever it is you know like I mean there's definitely like a an access and resource piece there that really enables that and I feel like that's just like that's just a reality that less melanated to us LGBTQ plus folks will just like not know you know, like, like while I was freelancing in jobs and stuff, I was facilitating to us LGBTQ workshops for like kids, like in schools. And it was kind of like awareness workshops. And sometimes like teachers would ask us to come because they knew there was like, or there was like an outed kid, or there was a kid that was like either out or outed in the class and whatever. A lot of these schools were like in Brampton in like the suburb that I grew up in. Um, that has like, it's in Peel. It has like a lot of, a lot, a lot of brown kids, like definitely more black kids than white kids um and just really having to be like I didn't get to come out and then get like a birthday cake you know like it wasn't like you're gay we love you you know and I really relate to Namita what you said about that like very compartmentalized step by step like coming into your identities because it really like one you never stop coming out right like you never stop coming out as queer. You never stop coming out as trans or gender fluid or non-binary. But I feel like you also never stop coming out as disabled. You know, like whether or not I have my cane, like, like I'll have to like explain things to whether it's like new dates or new friends or to new community members or new coworkers or colleagues or contacts or whatever it is. It's just like, why can't you just do the things? Or like, why can't we just go to a restaurant and do indoor dining? Like this constant, like, kind of like emotional labor that just like isn't accounted for anywhere. Yeah, I think, Anna, you mentioned that like I'm really new to you and and likewise, but also it's like, how how haven't we crossed paths? Like, I feel like you were talking about your experience of fibromyalgia and I'm just like, I feel like there's, I feel like fibromyalgia is like such a, is is one of those things that it's just like, it's 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 treated like a joke because it tends to be a like a chronic illness that a lot of women have. I remember I had like the one white person I dated, his mom had fibromyalgia. And I remember him being like, I was like, what's fibromyalgia? Not knowing I have fibromyalgia. I was like, what's fibromyalgia? He was just like, oh, like she gets XYZ symptoms. It's like a fake thing. She like makes it up. She like claims she needs to go to hot places in the winter and like all this stuff. And like, that's something that always sticks with me because I feel like even just stop talking to like, neurologists or rheumatologists and stuff like as someone who also has fibro it's just like I always think about I always think about that x and like I feel like that's how they are listening to me and that's how they're talking to me you know and I feel like that's like that's why when I mean like when you're in the company of even like one or two other folks that just like really get that piece where they're like they're also crib spoony folks they're also you know they understand like like they're also racialized in a particular way like we're the kind of racialized folks that like folks don't want and obviously like there's still like a model minority piece and like you know there is um the fact that like a lot of brown folks are like extremely extremely anti-black and it's like we are inherently anti-black by like being brown you know and like there's there's a lot there as well but i think that i think there's just something 
really rare and really special about being able to kind of just like have those lived experiences and just like that access intimacy from being like okay we don't have to actually keep coming out in this one instance you know like we don't have to keep sharing like like what these things are or like tell you definitions or like send you resource links and things like that so i'm just like yeah very grateful for that and in terms of just like the threads of how we know each other it's so funny like i i met namita's current partner at the same time that i met finn like the four or five years ago and then namita and i i'm not sure how we originally crossed paths but i feel like it was definitely through the internet we haven't met in person yet um, I think was through Cripcolab, which is like the zine project that I curate and coordinate. Um, it's a collaborative zine that features uh, racialized and disabled and to us LGBTQ plus artists, so folks who belong to all three of those communities. Um, because obviously that's like a, a really important thing to me in my work and the kind of people that I want to work with. Um, and it's a zine that kind of showcases like one piece of art from um, like usually 10 of those artists and then um, each person gets paid for their submissions. One of the things that's really difficult about someone that's like an ex-academic, like one of the things that took me from academia into the arts, which I feel like is like, it's like, I feel like it's, if you're not in academia and you're not in the arts, it probably sounds really weird. But I moved from academia to the arts because of how much unpaid labor was required of me in the academy. You know, like, there was other factors in it too, but, like, I can sustain myself and, like, have healthier relationships and more sleep and less mental breakdowns being an artist. Like, um, I was doing art full-time for, like, three years and, like, freelancing. I'm, I have a job now. Like, I work at a nonprofit again now. And that just came from me realizing that, like, I was constantly thinking it, it has to be, like, meaningful work. And so going back into the nonprofit world was, like, a whole separate thing. Um, but I am still an artist. I'm, I'm also, like, I do a lot of arts administration work. And I work in communications in my day job at a nonprofit. And I, I do really, really love it. I'll throw the ball back to folks. I mean, I'm laughing and crying because I'm in the stew of the academic world while also sustaining a creative practice. And um, I'm pausing and reflecting on your conversation about like the inherent sort of precarity that's tied to being in the academic space and what that looks like from a semester to semester. Like my my association with time is based on semester that's how I see the year map out. I'm thinking about what contract to apply for. I'm thinking about, oh, my shirk funding's run out. You know, what's tuition going to look like for me the next year? Um, there's a lot of those conversations. And then there's the other sort of big one that I'm still sort of sitting with, Priya, as you're talking about fibromyalgia. Like, for the, for the longest time, and I think even it, it doesn't go away, the outing never stops, especially if how your disability shows up is not how majority of folks understand what a disabled body is and what limits capacities and also uh, uh, possibilities uh, are tied to to being in a body that like can show up in very different ways and that that's not necessarily a bad thing um but like the 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 tying of like fibro and the constant like scrutiny 
Um, and so like, and then I think about like someone like uh, Haida Musa, who we had um, in a couple of seasons ago. And Haida is a, you know, a queer DJ, artist, scholar, and their work was all around like invisible diseases, especially about how black and brown bodies experience invisible diseases. Like, you know, we know what it feels like to be in our bodies, yet the medical institutions and spaces and sort of general society overall makes you doubt your own very lived experience, you know, to the point where you now we have language like gaslighting, you know, but like it makes you question your own experience and connection to reality. And so then where it's 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 so incredibly important to be in spaces where the explanation doesn't need to be there, but to be like, my body is here in this specific way. And that's that's who I am. And it's not up for debate. It's not up for scrutiny. It's not up for questioning, you know, any and all of those. And I think there's something really, really important specifically for like Indigenous, Black and POC folks to be in conversation with each other across really disparate genealogies, right? Like we have different associations to the state. There's a whole complexity of model minority-ness that for a lot of racialized immigrants who are trying to evade or escape other geographies of political and social tensions, you know, will come in the sense of like erasing away. There's an amnesiastic aspect of like wanting to forget while also wanting to be integrated. And so that doesn't really leave a whole lot of room for being like, okay, so what does an anti-racist practice look like for you at the individual, at the community level? So I think it's it's so important then for us to be in these conversations because it really pauses and makes us think about well, what what does this look like at the at the individual, at the local, and then broad more broadly speaking? Like there's the meta stuff, the theoretical philosophizing stuff, and then there's just like how do we make connections with each other? And like you know, um, so much of that uh, is like interwoven, but only interwoven with intention. Like you know, Finn coming and bringing this all four of us together in conversation makes it possible to put these things in dialogue with each other. Right. And I, and that's, that's something super, um, super important and productive. Um, Finn, I'm going to ask uh, if there's other sort of, you know, thoughts that you wanted to, to raise or for us to, to pick up. I think just having like some closing thoughts would be good. I mean, I feel like we all talked about, a lot of things and, and we'll carry a lot of these things with us and keep thinking about them and that's really like what I wanted to what I wanted to host in this space and my closing thoughts I mean I am thinking a lot about how yeah a lot of the process of like understanding and learning more about myself has been through having these moments of sharing and and listening also um, so yeah, I'm really glad that we could all do this today. And I think those are all of my closing thoughts. I love what this podcast does is that it makes me appreciate my friendships that I have and then make me eager to build new relationships. Like just, you know, like both of both you and Amitha coming into my sphere makes me eager to be like, what could a future continuation look like? You know, um, the podcast for me is like this ephemeral, but also really important oral archive that's happening, you know, so that's like 
the that's that's one thing but the other element of it's just like relationality it opens up i think of like portals and i i'm in the headspace of portals and universes and worlds colliding in a good way not worlds colliding in a violent way but like really a welcoming collision um and so i i don't know if that's if that can be a thing but i'm gonna leave it there as a welcome collision um and it makes me i think i, I i'm leaving this episode with just a a lot of energy and hope for more i think i feel similarly like i think again like i think this whole idea of like you know feeling like i i exist in a different body or or image in certain spaces rather than others i think i'm like so grateful for the ways that I'm able to meet people who show up as all parts of themselves and and have this like incredibly nuanced, like beautiful, full lives with like passions and and fears and and like I don't know. I think I feel really grateful for those forms of connection. I think especially to COVID, where it feels like finding finding new people to connect with feels like not feels like a very very infrequent um occurrence so yeah always always down to make rad friends yeah i'm i'm just feeling really grateful i feel like i feel like i could continue this conversation for like 12 hours were it not with the constraints of time yeah i would love to just see y'all more and and like that continuation piece that anna said um i would just like love to do this again in in different capacities or however however we can i just really like y'all there's no heart emojis to put on zencaster (laughs) um i guess this is it and i just wanted to say thanks to everyone i love finn for you know putting us all together i mean i love finn period so I was just about to say, I left Finn full stop. <laughs> um, and it's just really nice to, you know, Finn does all the technical know-how of this of this show, this series, and that it's only possible because of our collaboration. And so I'm so thankful and appreciative. And to be honest, just really happy to hear Finn say all really rad and beautiful things because, uh, you know, when Finn talks, Finn says some really amazing things. Otherwise, Finn is there taking it all in and I can see them, I can see in their eyes that there's a lot to be spilled. So it's nice to have the spilling happen uh, within within this sort of an environment as well. It's been a pleasure. New podcast slogan is Finn for the win. <laughs> to Be Continued Troubling the Archive is hosted and produced by Anna Shawhawk. Technical support for the show comes through from Finn's son. A major thanks goes to Hunter Dewache for their wonderful work in creating the logo for the series. The intro and outro are commissioned works by artist Chris Buckle-Binkowski. The show would not be possible without the support of QAG and the Canada Council for the Arts Digital Now Grant.